0: I want to just direct your attention uh, to this bulletin, yellow insert. Uh, We are about to say the words of a creed, and that's not unfamiliar to us, we say creeds uh, often here as part of our worship, creeds just being statements of belief that the church has come up, has come up with over the years. Uh, we tend to stick to what are known as the Catholic creeds, and that's Catholic with a small c. Catholic meaning universal, that they're just generally agreed upon in all the expressions of the body of Christ. For the, and, and today we're going to say Uh, and we're going to say words from what's called the Athanasius Creed. And that's not one that we normally say in church on a regular basis because it's rather long. But we're going to say an excerpt from it today because it's very appropriate to what we're acknowledging and celebrating. So if you want to know more about that creed or just creeds in general, that's part of what this insert is for. But I want to invite you, as you're prompted on the screen, to join me in declaring our faith through this excerpt from what is called the Athanasian Creed. Now, this is the Catholic faith. We worship one God in three persons, and three persons in one God without confusing the persons nor dividing the divine being. For the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Holy Spirit is still another. But there is one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all equal in glory and eternal in majesty. Amen. Following that reading, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to a passage that you're probably familiar with, Gospel of John chapter 3. It's on page 740 in that pew Bible that's there. And as always, if you're a guest and you don't have a Bible, please take that Bible in the pew as our gift to you. You're welcome to take it with you. And as you turn to John chapter 3, as I say, this early on in John's gospel is a passage many of us have heard before, but I invite us to be open to hearing it perhaps in a different way in the context of where We're going to be going this morning in terms of the message so john chapter 3 starting in verse 1 now there was a man of the pharisees named nicodemus a member of the jewish ruling council he came to jesus at night and said rabbi we know you are a teacher who has come from god for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if god were not with him in reply jesus declared i tell you the truth No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You can hear hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life and this is the word of the lord thanks be to god so long before the creation of days of observance like earth day or grandparents day or talk like a pirate day and that is a real day the <laughs> it's not today <laughs> <laughs> the, church, the church long before that the church had a custom of designating particular Sundays intended for remembering specific historic events in the life of Christ and they were, they were set aside for deeper reflection upon key elements of the gospel story Easter Sunday, for example. Easter Sunday, which remembers the resurrection of Jesus. Pentecost Sunday, which we celebrated last week, recalls when the person of the Holy Spirit came and gave birth to the body of Christ, the church. But today is the only Sunday in the year referencing a word that does not occur in the Bible. It's the only Sunday in the year dedicated to a doctrine, an understanding of the Bible, formally put into words almost 200 years after the cross, the resurrection, Pentecost. The word, the doctrine, if you will, of the day is the Trinity. Today is Trinity Sunday. Trinity from the Latin word trinitas, tri meaning three, unity meaning one, triunity, unity, Trinity. Talking about the Trinity is a way of acknowledging how the Bible, specifically the New Testament, though there are impulses in the Old, talking about the Trinity is a way of acknowledging how the Bible describes God. The Bible clearly speaks of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But the Bible also emphasizes that there is only one God. Now, if we do the math, we begin to see the tension in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's God plus God plus God. I was never a math whiz, but one plus one plus one seems to add up to three to me. And yet, in the creeds of our faith, like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, or the Athanasian Creed, in the creeds of our faith, we recite and we affirm that we believe in one God. And then we go on to talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the new math of the Christian faith, one plus one plus one equals one. One God. In other words, as Trinity, God is three persons who have the same essence of deity. So, and again, I'm not a math whiz, but it would seem to me the real biblical equation is actually one times one times one equals one. The Trinity is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, undivided and indivisible, three in one and one in three. It's not quite the three musketeers, and so we tend to struggle with the understanding of the complexity of how it all works. And that's where I want to start this morning. I want to begin about talking about sort of the elephant in the room, the challenge of embracing the Trinity, God the Father coming to us in the flesh in Jesus Christ, Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, the Holy Spirit coming to fill us and empower us, the meaning and messages of Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost, we as Christians can accept by faith with some comprehension, right? But God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons but one God, that's a message even with faith we can and do have a hard time wrapping our heads around. I mean, I I think concepts like the Trinity can make us feel a lot like Nicodemus in our text today, which is part of why I pulled this text for us. It can make us feel a lot like Nicodemus. Nicodemus, if you caught this, was a learned and earnest man. He was a respected and educated leader in the faith. And yet, as an authority on the ways of Israel, Nicodemus sensed, for all his wisdom, Jesus had something he was missing. But you'll notice in this passage, Nicodemus struggles to receive the truth Jesus offers him because it didn't fit into the framework with which he was familiar. It didn't fit into the framework with which he was familiar, not only as a teacher of Israel, but also as a human being. Did you catch that? When Nicodemus says, well, how can someone be born when they are old? What Nicodemus knows, what he's able to comprehend is good, but it's not enough. And in talking first of the Spirit and then of the Father and the Son, Jesus tells Nicodemus not to give up, but to press more deeply into the things of heaven, the mystery of faith, the full reality of God. And what I want to encourage us today is to see ourselves like Nicodemus, being encouraged to press in. Because the concept of the Trinity, like the notion of being born again, what it does is it forces us to break down the neat little boxes we try to confine God into. It breaks down those boxes even as concepts like the Trinity open us up to a greater and more profound understanding of the truth of God's character and working in the world. Now, In saying all this, still, some of us might be tempted to say, you know, this is all well and good, but I I, I just opt for a simple faith. You know, I just believe in Jesus Christ, and that's enough for me. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and I don't, honestly, I don't have much time for metaphysics. I don't have time for the dogma of the church. I don't need doctrines. But, beloved, that's the point of days like today. Days like today like Trinity Sunday, are intended in part to remind us doctrine isn't a bad word. Doctrine is a necessary part of our faith. After all, we can believe lots of things about Jesus, but that doesn't mean everything we believe about Jesus is true. We can all have a personal relationship with Jesus, and I'm not belittling that by any means, but just because we have a personal relationship with Jesus doesn't mean the relationship we have is a good and healthy one. I don't know if you ever stopped to think about this, and this might, I might lose you for the rest of the sermon with what I'm about to say. If so, go get it on disc or download it. If this ever occurred to you, but the devil has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The devil, devil has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The devil knows who Jesus is, interacts with him. He's not unknown. And yet, none of us would say, well, you know, I want to model my relationship with Jesus after that. The point that I'm teasing out here is that it's good that we have beliefs and it's good that we have a relationship, but like the skeleton within a body holds the body together and allows that body to stand up and move forward with purpose, doctrine holds together the different parts of what we believe so that what we believe is consistent integrated and frames a larger whole that enables us to move forward as one body in Christ. And that's why that we have creeds. That's why the church took such pains to try to say, what's the skeleton? What's the framework that holds together all that we believe? And in the midst of controversy, that's where it continued to get revised. And still today when we have divisions, they can be divisions, but, and they're fine as long as it doesn't it affect the framework, the skeleton, if you will, of the gospel, of the body of Christ. The Trinity has been deemed long, long ago as being essential to our framework. Martin Luther once remarked, once warned, in fact, to try and explain the Trinity is to risk our sanity. But Martin Luther also said, to deny the Trinity is to risk our salvation. And that's a word we need to hear. The Trinity is essential to our faith as followers of Christ. We cannot, beloved, fully appreciate the character of God, the significance of Christ, the gift of salvation, the promise of eternity without wrestling with the reality of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, again, there still may be pushback. There may be some of us who say, well, I'm sorry, the Trinity is just a later invention of Greek philosophy, I mean, the Trinity is well-intentioned, but it's additional baggage that was created unnecessarily by the church. Far, this, this whole Trinity thing, it's far removed from the ordinary faith of Galilean fishermen. And what I hope to show you today through the scriptures is that the Trinity should not be viewed as unscriptural or ahistorical. The basis for the concept of the Trinity comes right out of the Bible. The reality of the Trinity of one God encountering us in three persons was equally original to the experience of the first Christians. The conversation about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was not noth- wasn't nothing, anything new. It just took the church almost 200 years to adequately and appropriately put its belief in the Trinity into words. Now for me, that, that delay is not a reason to ignore or reject the Trinity, quite the opposite. For me, I think that that reality means we ought to pay closer attention and ponder more deeply a scriptural insight the church found itself unable to let go of, and yet it worked so painstakingly, patiently, and prayerfully to get it right. So that's where I want to start. I want us to try, I want to go next, I want to try to appreciate how and where the church deciphered the reality of the Trinity from the Bible. And there's so much I could say here. It's going to be pretty condensed. So consider this like the, the, you know, the executive summary, if you will. From the very beginning of the scriptures, we have whispers of the Trinity. In the very beginning of the scriptures, we have whispers of the Trinity. In the detailing of the creation of the world, the Genesis account does not say, let me make humankind in my own image. If you never caught that before, go back to Genesis chapter 1 and you'll see. It doesn't say, say, let me make humankind in my image. It says, interestingly, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And later on, as the creation unfolds, you only got to go one more chapter. Chapter 2, God says, it's not good for man to be alone. Who is God talking to? Who's God consulting up there in the heavenly court? God is talking to himself, but let's stop there for a second. When I say God is talking to himself, I don't mean it in the way that we do. I don't know about you, but I talk to myself all the time, and, and I talk to myself generally when I think no one else is there because I don't want them to lock me up, but when I'm talking to myself, I'm just having a monologue. What we get in Genesis is not God talking to himself in terms of a monologue. What we have is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are having a conversation, Right out of the chute, from the very beginning, God is presented as a relational being. We see that this is not a me God, but a we God. At the very beginning, we get a glimpse of God as community. We learn the essence of God is an eternal relationship. And this is hugely significant just in and of itself. The Trinity means this universe is not the product of some abstract, morally indifferent, higher power like the force in Star Wars. The Trinity establishes the God from whom this world is spoken into being is personal, personal, is relatable, is communal. In other words, we don't look up into the sky and probe some great cosmic silence looking for signs of our creator. Our creator is a loving father who reveals himself to us through acts of providence and miracles of nature. But our father doesn't just leave us to figure everything out for ourselves. This God we look to communicates with us, shares his self-contained life through word and spirit in books and laws, through poets and prophets, as well as acts of divine intervention. That encompasses the bulk of what we call the Old Testament. But more than this, God lets us into his communal nature by drawing us near to him, by drawing near to us. We get, the church realized, our first up-close glimpse of the reality of the Trinity when God entered this world as Jesus. Up until that moment of revelation, while we would relate to God in a sense, our relationship was limited to words given through intermediaries, and powerful experiences related through elements like wind, fire, smoke, and rain. And added to this, if you remember the Old Testament, added to this were clear boundaries that separated and restricted our access to God. Necessary limits because of God's perfect and incomprehensible holiness. While everyone could witness and sense the fatherly love of God, no one could look upon the actual face of God and live. But then came Jesus. Then came Jesus, and then came the realization by the church that Jesus was not a prophet of God or a messenger from God, but that Jesus was the word made flesh. The church realized Jesus is God. The church realized Jesus was God getting personal by living our full humanity. And the fact that Jesus ate, that Jesus slept, that Jesus cried, that Jesus laughed, forced the church to rethink the nature and personhood of God. Why? Because all at once, don't you see, the veil was lifted. Just like that, the boundaries were no more. Suddenly, we could look into the eyes of our creator. Where once we could not live in the presence of God without death resulting, God was now present, facing and taking death upon himself so we could live. And at that point, the church had to start thinking about how God was in the world as Jesus and yet remained the God who, for example, heard all the prayers of people everywhere. But as the church tried to put this into words, scrambled to understand this, they didn't have very much time to that because God's self-revelation was not finished. Last Sunday was Pentecost. Again, the day the Holy Spirit descended upon the church and remains with the church to this very day. The significance of Pentecost is that God's coming to us wasn't just a special moment in history that ended with Jesus' resurrection and later ascension into heaven. The Father and Son are not sitting in some remote corner of heaven watching our lives like a reality TV show. No, through the coming of the Holy Spirit, God took the personal nature of his relationship with us beyond a cross or a tomb into something more permanent. As we celebrated last week, the message of Pentecost is the Spirit of God is here with us in community, prompting, leading, and empowering us, both in good times and bad, through the triumphs and the failures. And once again, the increasing and ongoing closeness of God forced the church to rethink and broaden her understanding of the nature of God. God has been present with us as our Father through the story of Israel. God presented himself to us through the good news of the Son, Jesus Christ. And God makes his presence eternal, filling and guiding our lives through the person of the Holy Spirit. 200 years later, after a lot of talk and a lot of prayer, you have the Trinity. Now, I've given you, like I said, the quick overview there. I could go farther, but let's be honest. Despite all that I've done, and you don't have to acknowledge this out loud, you're probably sitting here and saying, so what? So what? Why should I care about the Trinity? That God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's where I want to go next. I want to hopefully give you some reasons to care. Beloved, recognizing God is in a relationship of eternal communion as a father with the son and with the Holy Spirit, has tremendous implications for how we see ourselves as well as understanding our purpose in the world. The Trinity reinforces our biblical conviction that we are created, that we exist, that we persist as a species, not by accident, not because of blind luck, but in through and out of love. You see, love is at the heart of the Trinity. Love is at the heart of the Trinity, holding diversity and unity, not in tension, not in separation as we often do, but love is holding diversity and unity together in a beautiful and perfect symmetry. The three persons who are God are not drawn apart by their perfect individuality but they're united into one through love. And let's take this a step further. Don't know if you've ever thought about this. Such perfect, and these words matter, such perfect, complete, wondrous love could remain self-contained. Why change when you have a good thing? Why open up, allow for that anything other than the good thing that you have. Existing in eternal communion, God as Trinity, beloved, is not lonely. God as Trinity break, bucks the trend because God in Trinity, three, is not a crowd. And yet, the love between the three persons of one God, this intimate, reciprocal, and perfect love, is a love which he graciously extends to you and to me. In other words, God who is by nature relational yearns to be in relationship with you and with me. He's not in relationship because he has to. He's not in relationship because, well, he got bored. He's not in relationship because of some cosmic mishap. He chooses to be in relationship with us. This God who is by very nature loving, loves us out of that nature, that relationship. Bear with me on this. As the Father loves Jesus, as Jesus loves the Father, as the Spirit loves Jesus, as Jesus loves the Spirit, as the Father loves the Spirit, as the Spirit loves the Father, God loves you and me. Just as absolutely, just as purely, just as unconditionally, beloved, the Trinity is not a cold concept or stale doctrine. At its core, the Trinity affirms one of our most basic human needs, to be loved, to be chosen. God chooses us. God loves us. The Trinity is the story of the way that God loves us. The Trinity is the gospel, the good news of God so loving the world that he offers nothing other than God's very self. The Father giving his one and only Son, sending his Holy Spirit so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now I want to, once again, I, I did this last week, once again confess my own wrestling in the midst of this. I, I can understand for some of us not just the difficulty of getting our, hand, our minds around this, but also maybe even re- wrestling with caring about it. As I have grown up in my relationship with God, I've come to appreciate the importance, the significance of the Trinity. But it wasn't always that way. I, as you know, I was raised as a Catholic, and in the Lutheran Church, this is also a practice. In the Catholic Church, I learned in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I learned to make the sign of the cross on my body. And I accepted the Trinity on faith. But I'm going to be honest with you, I accepted it without much of a second thought. I didn't really know how to interact with a triune God. You know, I don't know if any of you can relate. I didn't know how to interact with a triune God. I I, I don't know, maybe this is your experience. I tended, I found, to shift my focus between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, depending on who I thought was in a better mood. And and, and as I grew up in the church, I tended to find that the different churches that I went to, even when I went beyond Catholicism, I found sort of a similar trend, trend for the most part in the church. Not always, but I tended to find you could tell a lot about a church based upon who they focused on. You'd go into some churches, and it's Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God. In other churches, Jesus, 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 Jesus. In other churches, Spirit, 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 Spirit. But very rarely did I hear churches holding the three together, other than maybe in some of the trappings that the church long ago left to us. And so I figured, well, that's just kind of how it is, you know? I mean, well, there's three persons and you pick which one you want to be BFFs with, and there it is. That's li- I mean, it's literally how I approached it. I didn't understand how to engage all three at the same time. And then and this was a while back, I cuz it it just just stayed with me. I couldn't let it go. And if you know me, that's a common problem I have. I started to think about the Trinity in terms of 3D. There's something fundamental about the, wor- the way in which the world is put together. You and I live in a three-dimensional world. All physical objects have a certain height, a certain width, and a certain depth. We relate to creation in 3D. We have to in order to move about. I mean, we engage simultaneously every day the height, width, and depth of the world. We may not be conscious of it, but that's how we engage the world. And that just, just sort of, that, that thought kind of stayed with me as, a, as just a sort of a separate kind of fascination. And then all of a sudden, I was reading Paul. And I was reading what Paul once wrote in Corinthians. When Paul wrote, and what ended up becoming my confirmation verse, one of the scriptures that I treasure, when Paul wrote as part of that verse, that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it hit me. Paul is pointing to to a 3 dimensionality to our life of faith. Why do we like 3D? And maybe some of us don't because there's like 3D everything now, right? But why do we gravitate towards 3D? What difference does 3D make? Well, just on a basic level, and I'm not a, a man of science per se, one dimension is just a line, right? I mean, you can't do much with that. It's flat, there's not much there to interact with. If we add two dimensions, two dimensions is better, right? I mean, there's, it's, there's infinitely more complexity, but it's still flat. I mean, think of two dimensions as being a, screen, a TV screen, what remains on a screen, right? What is it about three dimensions? Well, with three dimensions, you get off the page. With the depth perception, everything pops more. And suddenly, what you're looking at can be explored from every angle. 3D, 3D is the fullness of revelation. You feel like you're really there, right? And what I want to suggest, the insight that I had is the Trinity brings the gospel into 3D for us. The Trinity brings the gospel into 3D for us. In this inner relationship among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there are not three gods, but one God who have three different persona, three different qualities, three different dimensions. Our three dimensional God, if you will, is not one to remain on the page of a book. Our God steps out. Our God stepped into human history, first in creation, then in communication, and finally in incarnation. Our God the Father stepped off the page and into the world of his creation. Our God the Son, Jesus, stepped off the page and into human history. Our God the Holy Spirit steps off the page and into our hearts. The Trinity is the gospel in 3D. Now, and I've been preparing for this, some of you more scientific types, I confessed, I am not per se a man of science, before some of you more scientific types, prepare to tell me after the sermon that there are more than three dimensions to this world. And before the theologians in the room, of which I count myself one, but before the theologians among you, also tell me, Chris, Pastor Chris, God is infinitely more complex than three dimensions. Let me assure you, I get it. I understand my insight long ago, like all reflections upon the Trinity, has its limitations. But before I acknowledge this, (laughs) please allow me to share one final observation that I had in my limited analogy. And it's, the observation that to me is the answer to the question of why the Trinity matters. Because we are the fourth dimension. (laughs) Go with me here. Beloved, God doesn't just express himself simply alone. We are created in the image of God. God expresses God's self in collaboration with humanity. God's relational love that I've been talking about forever reaches out to us. Let this tilt your thinking. God's relational love forever reaches out to us, reaches into our lives. It's not a one-time deposit. It's continually reaching out to us. The God who is by nature community embraces us through our communities of faith, empowering us to be the fourth dimension of his presence in our relationships with one another and the world, God gave us life in the very beginning to reflect and represent His character through our stewardship of His creation, fourth dimension. The redemption God accomplishes in Jesus Christ is not just a spectacle we are to observe as outsiders. No, God came in the flesh in Jesus so that we too might join in the work of redemption, fourth dimension. God pours his Holy Spirit into our hearts in order to make us temples, fourth dimension, of his divine presence. Members of Christ's own body, the church, representatives and ambassadors of his presence in the world at large. Jesus' final words to his disciples in Matthew, a passage we've called the Great Commission. These are his words. "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. These words are the closest thing we have to an articulation of the Trinity in the Bible. Now, granted, Jesus never uses the word Trinity. He never offers anything of an explanation of its nature. But what I want to suggest to you is his words here provide, however, doctrine enough. Because Jesus lets us know that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist in an integrated relationship, revealed to us not just to lecture us, not even just to save us, but to propel us to be in relationship with the world, to live in service, and to cultivate community with each other. In other words, the Trinity is more about more than our being loved, it's about our belonging. It's about our belonging. Remember, the last part of that that section in Matthew we call the Great Commission, the part that I have not read yet, when Jesus said, Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Through it all, the presence of God persists because the Trinity asserts the very nature of God is bound together with us. Our learning and our beliefs are continually being shaped and matured as we are drawn into a deeper understanding of the God who chooses to be in relationship with us. And just as a quick side, I don't know the last time you looked at it, that's the reason why when we try to articulate Grace's mission here on the back of your bulletin, it's not about a triangle. It's about trying to reflect the reality of life in the Trinity. And there's lots of ways we could characterize that. I'm not saying that we've nailed it, but we're trying to live in that tension of living as a people of the Trinity. You see, because it's in our shared dependence upon God, we as individuals and as communities are beckoned to yield to the Lord's influence and work upon our souls. We pray, we sing, we read, we study. We serve as a means of recognizing and growing in our relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the beautiful thing is that in tandem with this soul care that God provides, as we mature through the influence and instruction of the Lord, we attend more and more to the world around and beyond us. We become a living sign of the eternal, intertwined, mutually submissive relationship of the Trinity. We become what the, church, the, the, the world longs for but cannot accomplish. I referenced this way, way back in this sermon. We exist where we want to have a world where diversity and unity can coexist. And for all of our words, for all of our dreaming and imagination, we can't make it work. We continually separate the two even as we try to bring them together. We talk about not seeing color. We talk about not seeing um, ethnicity. But we can't find that perfect symmetry of where we can be different and yet unified at the same time. And the Trinity is, is our entry point. The Trinity is the relationship by which we are transformed as the body of Christ into an offering of love, of belonging, where we as the church become a people transformed who are diverse in company and yet unified in their relationship to each other in God. And that's why when there's division in the church, it hurts more than it does anywhere else in the world. Because when there's division in the church, for whatever reason, we are breaking apart what God has brought together. But when we, not by ourselves, but by the grace of God, submit in the midst of our diversity, to the unity that God brings in the midst of that diversity, our witness becomes all the more powerful. God is perceived, seen. The kingdom of God comes before us. And what does that look like? It looks like the body of Christ, not individual people. It looks like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit revealing themselves, God revealing himself through people who are able to enter into the situations that seem to divide us, and yet in the midst of those divisions, to point to a common unity. Beloved, this is the dance of the Trinity. This is the dance the Trinity invites us to join. And I don't know if you know this, but the image of the three-in-one, the one-in-three dancing, is one of the more ancient images of how the Trinity is seen to relate to each other. They engage each other in perfect rhythm and step, and they invite us to join the dance. Through the sacred words of the Trinitarian formula, life that begins at baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and life that ends at the grave in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These words are bookends for the beginning and ending of our lives here on earth, but these words are also our invitation in the space in between to dance with the Trinity to dance with the Trinity. And as our love for God grows, so then does our love for God's people. As we interact with one another, we grow in our understanding of God and we become the fourth dimension of God's presence in this world. And again, I'm not a math person, but if you do the math now, three plus one equals four. This dance that we're invited into is a waltz and it's in three, four time. And as we dance, God is not simply the passive partner, a passive receiver of our worship. No, the Lord leads our steps. The Lord is the active agent who makes the dance possible. The Father receives our worship, the Son perfects it, and the Spirit prompts it. And we are invited not only to join in this dance here in worship, but we are called to waltz out there, carrying the triune love of God to the entire world. So I guess what I'm inviting you to do this morning is to take off your 3D glasses and to start living in the fourth dimension. I guess what I'm asking you to do this morning is to take off your walking shoes and to put on your dancing shoes. I guess what I'm asking you to do this morning is to not choose to live a simple life of faith, but to dare to enter into the rich, glorious, transformative mystery of the faith that we have of a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? Holy and blessed and glorious trinity. Three persons in one God have mercy upon us. Almighty God, creator and sustainer of the universe, we worship you. Lord Jesus Christ, savior and Lord of the world, we worship you. Holy Spirit, sanctifier of the people of God, we worship you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, draw us into your dance. Teach us the steps. Teach us the rhythms of your grace and of your love. Lord, only you can give us the music. Only you can give us the steps. Only you can enable us to glorify you. And we want to bring glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. We want to celebrate each and every day as it was in the beginning, as it is now, and it shall be forever. Lord, help us to reflect and represent you, all of you in our life today. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.